So last week, we looked at what happens in our congregation when you want change. What happens when you figure something out? How do you get more people on board for your vision of the future? This week, we look at what happens when someone else wants change. What happens when someone else has figured something out? What happens when someone else says that who we are today is not who we could be tomorrow? Two things come up for me when someone else wants change. One thing that comes up for me is a grateful curiosity. I want to learn and grow, and someone else has found something worth looking into. I cannot look into everything myself. We depend on each other to look into various issues and perspectives. So I feel grateful when other people join in the work of searching for truth and meaning. And I am gratefully curious when they find something that they believe is worthy of my attention. So that is one of my reactions grateful curiosity. And the second thing that comes up for me when someone else wants change is trepidation. What if they are wrong? What if in all of their beautiful and fallible humanity, they have messed up something in their reasoning or missed something in their study of the human condition? What if they are mistaken about how the world works? What if the human instinct for tribalism is narrowing their view of what Unitarian Universalism could be? And what if their mistaken ideas gain traction and I have to invest energy into proving them wrong? It is tragic when a religious liberal who wants to engage in a free and responsible search for truth and meaning is compelled to act as a religious conservative, putting the brakes on someone else's drive. But that is our predicament. It is far easier to be wrong than right. For every 100 consumer inventions, maybe 10 will catch on and the rest fall by the wayside. For every 100 political innovations, maybe 10 make things better and it is a struggle to get rid of the other 90. So when I hear that someone else has figured something out and wants change, I feel trepidation that I have to check up on them but I also feel grateful curiosity that perhaps they have done a good search for truth for us and found something worthwhile. Change is part of who we are. We are a living tradition. I think of our seven principles and how they have changed into what they are now and how they might continue to change. Before the Unitarians merged with the Universalists in 1961, the Unitarians had four purposes and objectives. All four were written as actions, not principles. These actions were to promote love to God and love to man, strengthen our churches, organize new churches, and cooperate with other religious liberals. So I see three institutional objectives there and really only one principle, the principle that love is good. Or perhaps that is two principles to love God and love each other. 
Now, speaking as an atheist, I, I interpret that to mean, or I find meaning in that to mean um, love our ideals and love each other. But this set of purposes does not articulate what our ideals are. And in fact, after the four purposes, it says that we have individual freedom of belief. So we do not agree on our ideals. So I wonder if those purposes stir your soul and make you want to join the denomination, or are you glad that they have changed since then? When the Unitarians merged with the Universalists, the four purposes were rewritten as six principles and purposes. They were again written as actions. The first one was to strengthen one another in a free and disciplined search for truth as the foundation for our righteous or our religious fellowship. The second principle is extremely long, but ends with the familiar love to God and love to man. The third principle brings in worth, dignity, and the democratic method. The fourth brings in world community, justice, and peace. In the 1970s, the UU Women's Federation helped take the lead in considering how to revise the principles again. By the time they were voted on in 1984 and 1985, because it takes two years to change the principles, uh, by the time they were voted in, the word God was out, gendered language was out, and respect for the interdependent web was in. Compared to the pre-merger version, we are articulating more of what we believe in common. We begin to enunciate what love looks like. Love looks like justice, compassion, equity, truth, conscience, democracy, interdependence. Still, it says afterward that we have freedom of belief. Maybe we agree that justice is good, but we don't necessarily agree on what justice looks like. Maybe we agree that truth is good, but we don't necessarily agree on what truth looks like. So it can look like a beautiful story of change and growth. People become unsatisfied with the wording, changes are proposed, and the changes are voted in. But some of it was quite painful. The 1960 debate between theists and atheists was hard and sometimes judgmental. 1970s and 80s discussions on what values to include and how much of our religious heritage to include were heated discussions and did not end with total agreement, but with compromise. And histories of our principles don't even get into the many people who wanted to take us off in a different direction didn't get the following and left. So the, the history looks a lot cleaner than the reality. Over the decades, both congregants and ministers have had to decide where to locate themselves in the denomination. There were committed institutionalists like Reverend Henry Whitney Bellows trying to create change from the center. There were people making changes on the margins, like one Reverend Ellis, who was content to travel with his congregation in a new way 
while still staying uh, part of the association. And in those times of change, there are people who left to start something new, like Reverend Octavius Frothingham, who helped to support independent congregations and was the first president of the Free Religious Association. Our principles are flexible and they adapt to changing times. When lies are rampant, the search for truth becomes a priority. When democracy is threatened, democracy becomes a priority. When the climate is changing, the interdependent web becomes a priority. When it seems like not all lives matter, the inherent worth of every person becomes a priority. And it becomes a priority to name which lives do in fact need to matter. And this brings us to a possible next change in our principles. There is a proposed eighth principle. The eighth principle names anti-racism as a priority. 130 congregations have already voted to adopt it. For many UUs, the eighth principle is a cause for celebration. It is a deep commitment to rise to the moment and address longstanding systemic racism. And for some UUs, the eighth principle is the wrong solution to an important problem. So I notice feelings come up when we talk about how we do anti-racism work and feelings come up when we talk about changing our principles. So maybe let's just take a moment to tune into how we're doing. What is it like for you to notice your reaction? For example, to notice that we are part of a living tradition. What's it like for you to notice that our principles have changed and will continue to change? What's it like for you to notice, or that, what's it like for you that our association might adopt the eighth principle? What's it like for you that we might go in a direction that you like, uh, but we might go in a different direction? And what's it like for you to notice how you're doing and also to notice and care for how other people are doing? For some of us, the seven principles are a, are a robust system deeply ingrained in us, like a forest of oak trees that are rooted together, that can withstand gale force winds. A living system that is both rooted and growing and changing. For some of us though, the seven principles are an unstable equilibrium, like a ball balanced on a hill that will roll off if it even gets nudged. If you believe that the seven principles are robustly held, you might be gung-ho to jump to the next thing and integrate it. But if you believe that the seven principles are a remarkable achievement for beings as, tri as tribal and fallible as humans, you might want to use your energy keeping that ball balanced on the top of the spiritual hill. There are some anti-racism teachers who are very good at teaching. 
And there are some anti-racism teachers who I think are very bad at teaching. So with some teachers, a story is shared, an example of iniquity is lifted up, and we agree that something needs to be done. Taking action resonates with our principles. But with some teachers, it feels like some of our UU principles are out the window. Maybe you've come across teachers who seem to throw compassion, democracy, liberty, and your conscience out the window. So I want you to know if you've had experience, I've had that experience. Um, there are some UU changemakers out there that have made me want to say, what about our principles? I've even had periods where I would spend hours online gathering information to support my position that something was amok. And then someone challenged me. Someone said, it's easy to criticize, but you can do better. And they gave me two ways to do better. So number one, if you find yourself focusing on the antics of a bad teacher, put some of your energy into finding a good teacher. So I made the commitment that for every hour I spent being concerned about how anti-racism was taught, I would spend three hours seeking out and learning from better teachers. So if Robin D'Angelo doesn't work for you, maybe try Adrian Marie Brown or Stacey Abrams. Being a critic is an important role, but do not live there. Find a way to keep learning and growing a way that works for you. Just because someone is a bad teacher does not mean that there is not a there there. So find out what's there by finding a teacher that works for you. And number two, a second thing to do if you find yourself confronted by bad teaching. Learn how to learn from a bad teacher. <laughs> it is a helpful skill to be able to learn from a bad teacher. It opens up the number of teachers that are available. If you can learn from bad teachers, the world is your oyster. <laughs> Social media is your agora. If you don't like the language that they are using, translate it in a way that works for you. If you think that they are abandoning one of our principles, improve their lesson, adapt it so that it honors our principles. Do not let bad teachers stop you from learning and growing. We need to keep learning and growing. We are a living tradition. It's in our principles, always searching. It's in our lifeblood. We have a grating hunger to learn and change and learn better and change again. I wonder if there are any David Bowie fans here. Any David Bowie fans? Yes, some, good. So David Bowie encourages us to turn and face the strange. He's turned down a million streets that turned out to be dead ends and that did not stop him. He needed to turn and face the strange again and again and experience change. Time will change us. Let's be conscious about how we change. Not simply putting on the brakes and resisting change, but not simply going along for the ride because someone tells us to. Don't say no to bad change makers. Learn all you can from them and find others to learn from too. 
so that we can all ride into the future together.